Full Service Radio programming is available on our website, fullserviceradio.org, and as a podcast, thanks to Simplecast. For more information, visit simplecast.com. Tune in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Welcome to Window Seat, broadcasted on Full Service Radio, live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan. I'm one of your hosts, Omari. Chris Price here with you. <laughs> and we uh, always have Jack back in the booth. What's up, Jack? How's it going? Uh, we were provided this opportunity by the Adams Morgan Youth Leadership Academy, also known as Amila. Today we're going to be talking to and getting to know three amazing, strong, resilient, intelligent, resourceful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, I had my thesaurus out for this one. Oh, you juicing Hold on, hold on. I'm not finished. Let me start again. No, no, no. I like this. All right, all right. I'm going to go from the beginning, man, because these are, this is true. Okay. All right. Amazing, strong, resilient, intelligent, resourceful. How long you been reading? Since three. And I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) Stop messing up my intro, man. Positive, beautiful women. Miss Ametia Asili. Aya Ifanike Omawali. Omawale. And Miss uh, Crystal Glenn. Right. Y'all want to say hi? (laughs) Hey, everybody. Hello, hello. Oh, yeah. Hi. Hey. <laughs> I should know better. <laughs> and they're, uh, they're here to talk today about uh, an event, an upcoming event they have, Heal Art and Soul. It's promoting domestic health. Right? So it's, it's, they partnered with Amila, and they're here today to, to tell us all about their event and what brought them to, uh, to stage this event. Right? Definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, yeah, so this is Ametia, everybody. Um, thank you all very much for having us on the show, number one. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you to everybody for being here. Um, I think the biggest thanks goes to Iyai K for um, allowing all of this to be possible with her resilience, um, her story, um, and her power. And so basically we're here for many reasons, one of them being, um, as Brother Omari uh, said, to talk about Heal Art and Soul um, as a fundraising event. Um, that we're going to be having Saturday, uh, July 7th um, at the Adams Morgan Youth Leadership uh, Academy right here on the side of the line, D.C. We want to see everybody um, coming out. We want adults. We want children. We want everybody to come and, you know, really um, not only dive into the idea of what it means to promote, um, you know, domestic uh, health, but also to, to really think about what it means to um, understand art as a mode of healing. Um, and the, the reason why we're doing this event um, is because Ia uh, Ifanike, um, and she'll speak uh, more about this, but um, is a survivor of domestic violence. Um, and so we want to raise as much, as, you know, as much funds as we can um, to really just support um, and heal and grow, um, you know, first and foremost, her family, um, but also our community as a whole, um, and to hold space uh, for healing in general for women, for families, for children. Um, so, yeah. That sounds great. I'm excited. I'm going to be there. 
So how did you guys um, connect, I guess? Where do you know each other from? And how did you uh, partner in uh, creating this event? Okay, well, I'll speak to that. This is E.I.E. Funny K okay. speaking now. Um, I've known Ametia. We met all actually by happenstance. A mutual friend. She was actually in school at Howard University. And... She was in a class, and she needed to interview someone. I think her topic was around African traditions and how they help family yep. relationships, like how they counsel, how do African traditions help counsel like family relationships. So someone told her she should talk to me. So she came to my house. She did an interview for her project. Are and you then, an educator? Yes, I am. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, among other things. But uh, that's just one of my jobs. She came to my house. We, she did an interview. And then I didn't see her for a number of years. Um, and then we reconnected uh, maybe a year, two, two years ago, where uh, it just seemed to be in divine order that that was the time when we were supposed to connect and, and stay connected. Mm-hmm. But we needed that introduction first. So that's kind of, we've been connected since we reconnected. Okay. Can you tell us about the event? What, what should we expect if we attend? Hmm. Yeah, so at the event, um, it's going to be a beautiful occasion. Um, so we're going to have um, songstress uh, Tamika Love-Jones. Um, who's, you know, born and raised right here uh, in the DMV area. She's going to be doing some songs for us. Mm-hmm. We're going to have uh, African drumming by uh, Nidambaya uh, African Drum Collective. Uh, we're going to have a visual art uh, demonstration by Alonzo Bibbins. Um, we're going to also have um, Mama Crystal Glenn, who is, who is here, um, with us talking about her documentary that she's done uh, on domestic violence um, and, and what it means to, you know, heal and really talk about that topic uh, among many other vendors and, and artists. Um, and so in regards to vendors, we want, you know, the, the whole uh, space, we want it to all be geared towards healing. So we'll have people doing massages. Um, we'll have folks selling all types of uh, oils and um, butters and stuff that heal. Um, we'll have folks doing uh, henna. Um, you know, because, you know, as if being beautiful is not a part of healing. <laughs> um, waist beads, um, African clothing, uh, vegan dinners, um, vegetable juices. Please come, everybody. And bring money. And bring, oh, and bring <laughs> money. We love don't, money, right? This just, is the purpose of the event. <laughs> right, this isn't free. It's not a free event. <laughs> so this is about um, domestic healing, you said, not uh, combating domestic violence. Is it possible to do one without the other? Right. So it, I, I think they're using this event to heal from domestic the violence. effects of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. In particular, so I can speak to that. Um, so also at the event, you may hear more of my story that kind of inspired the event in the first place. Um, we understand that domestic violence at the physical level is the last expression of the violence, that it starts mentally, emotionally, and spiritually first. And the physical is actually just the manifestation of what's been happening the whole time. So when, you, when one is processing 
or trying to honestly recover. It's a lot of, a part of the healing process is understanding where did it begin in the first place. Because an assault to your spirit is an assault. An assault to your mental is an assault. And how long have, how long have you have been allowing yourself to exist in that space uh, before it came, before it manifested itself physically? Um, so a part of my, you know, a part of the healing is taking ownership for your, your uh, hand in it and understanding also that sometimes people in the world are just ill or just sick. And if you're not aware, if you don't catch it early, you could be a person who received the negative expressions of those sicknesses. So what are some of the things uh, that you didn't notice in the beginning that looking back, you realize those that those were uh, red flags? Um, one of the red flags is when you notice yourself being uh, constantly giving and a person taking with a taker's intention. And what I mean by that is people who take without giving back. Taking, taking, taking. I think um, it really begins with isolation first. Mm. So for an extended period of that relationship, we have been isolated. Like even so much so like no family, none of my family around, um, not making any effort. I would want to go see my family, not even going to see my family. Mm. Um, we moved to a whole nother country oh, wow. um, for a couple of years. And where I can find, there were some beautiful experiences I had being in a different country. I felt strongly isolated. And then moving back here again, Isolate. So all I had, you know, all I processed that I had, let me be clear, because we have everything we need inside of us, right, to, to move. But it, when you're in these spaces, the image that is put before you is that this person is the only person you have to cling on to, to, to help you, to support, because you're by yourself otherwise. So... That should have been a red flag, the isolation. But, you know, in these spaces, you don't process it like that, especially when you're married with children. Mm -hmm. You don't process that that's happening because you just think you're being a good wife. I'm just going along with the program. Mm -hmm. This is how this is going to be. He's leading. I'm following. This is what has been told. This is the mantra for women Mm -hmm. in all spaces in America, Nigeria, in all spaces, that's the mantra. So you think you are doing what you're supposed to do. And um, it's one concession after the other. And it's one um, give after the other, it's one take after the other until it just turns inside out. The moment the woman decides I'm not going to give anymore, is when you see the violent response, the physically violent response. Do you think you could have uh, 
an experience, a domestic violent experience without the violence? Without the physical without violence? Without the physical violence, yeah. Because you said earlier that the first assault is an assault on your spirit. And assault is a violent act. So wouldn't that, do you think that that, I mean, I, I, believe, I understand most people associate domestic violence with the physical act. Mm-hmm. But do you, would you say today that the physical, that the, the spiritual assault, the emotional assault um, is, is stronger, lasts longer, has a greater effect than the, the physical assault? I can tell you for a fact that the emotional and physical assaults are the scars that last the longest. Um, you can get over a scratch or um, or a concussion. But what has been done to you after, what has been done to your spiritual person and the work you have to do to come to a place to be able to even trust people again, that work is serious, takes serious healing and it takes, I would assume, some years, so... If you're just joining us, you're listening to Window Seat, we're talking about uh, domestic healing and domestic violence. We're going to take a quick break and come back uh, and talk about the process of healing. Welcome back to Window Seat, broadcasting on Full Service Radio. We're here today with Miss Ametia, Miss Aya Afanike, and uh, Miss Crystal. 
uh, and we're here talking about domestic healing. Um, and Crystal is a documentarian. Docu- did I say that right? Document. Yeah. Yes, I just did. I just broke it down and made it sound. <laughs> you made it. You, you put it together very well. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she's currently doing a documentary or creating a documentary on domestic violence. Yes. Yes, I am. So what what motivated you to uh, create this documentary? Um, it was again a divine intervention. Mm-hmm. You know, my mentor was like, "You should do a documentary," and I'm. It was Domestic Violence Month of last year, and um, they had a press conference, and they were speaking about domestic violence. So then that's kind of how the journey started. Um, And I knew several women who had um, organizations who who had been through domestic violence personally, and um, I reached out to them, you know, to say, hey, um, I'm doing I'm doing a, dem- a documentary on domestic violence. And initially my thought process was to um, it, you know, initially my thought process is, OK, this is this woman's issue and um, I'm going to address, you know, the physical abuse that we see that that, that women go through. But um through the journey of speaking with multiple women and men, I've discovered that domestic violence is really a societal issue. It's a, it's like like the sister said. It's the physical expression is the last, you know, the last step, the last manifestation of all of the abuse, the mental, the financial. Um, you know, abuse that that people in general have gone through, and it's that it's that point where you click, where you can't take it anymore, where it becomes a physical thing. So either you're the recipient of it or you're the giver of it, mm-hmm. and and it and it is apparent throughout our whole society. You know, and men become men are victims of as well. It's just that because of their brawn, you know. They don't usually get to that physical, but they experience the mental abuse. They experience um, even some um, financial abuse, um, mental, you know, mental abuse from women. And so it, it from their mothers, you know, it, it's not just in in relationships. It's in our whole entire family dynamic. And that's what I've discovered throughout this journey of um, doing a documentary on domestic violence. How does one know that they're in an abusive situation if they're not experiencing the physical mm. part? Because, you know, you could just think that this person is a bad person. You may not realize that you're being abused. Well, that is part of the the, the journey that I've, um, you know, discovered. I, because of this, realized that I've been in many a domestic violence situation, domestic right. abusive relationships. Um, where you know people just it, and it has to do with yourself like allowing yourself the the space to know what it is that you, you will allow for yourself you know a self love and that's where, where it kind of comes in and um, sometimes we don't get that as a, as a, as a child mm-hmm. so by the time we're an adult things become acceptable to us and we're not even aware that we don't even have self-love so we're allowing these things to happen in our lives and it's we're not aware of it until somebody 
does something physical to you. Then you look back and you realize. So that's one of the reasons my purpose with this documentary is to educate and inform people of the process of um, being domesticated, because that's what it's called. It's called <laughs> the, the documentary is called uh, Domesticated, a society under the scourge of domestic violence, because I want to look at the, the whole, the totality of it and how it affects us now and how it has almost been, um, you know, ingrained into who we are as a people, um, especially amongst the, you know, African-American black community. Because a lot of behaviors are seen as mm-hmm. they normalized. Mm-hmm. We see a lot as children. Um, we see a lot as children. We are abused as children and unknowingly. You know, um, a lot of things in society are attributed to this factor. Um, you know, economically, if you don't, if you can't feed your kids, if you can't do things for your kids, then neglect happens. You know, and and. And now it has almost, it's just transformed into this massive physical expression of violence that we see on a regular basis. Domestic violence is not new, you know, it just has transformed and it's grown into something that we see now. The manifestation is real. Can you um, give an example of abuse that a person would experience as a child that they may not realize growing up that they can't because you carry those those because it's trauma yeah your, your mother come on stupid you, your parents will call you stupid mm-hmm. um you're just like your daddy you know um any type of you're just like your mama you you know your um name calling by your by your by your elders the people who are supposed to take care of you um that that is one way that's that's emotional that's you know that's um verbal abuse and as a child for someone to constantly tell you that you're stupid it diminishes your self-worth you know so <laughs> that is a, a, an example of domestic violence and that, that also um what it creates in the child is this constant desire to try to be good enough mm-hmm. to not be called stupid anymore or to be valued, or to see an expression of value from the parent or the guardian. And if that's never addressed, they grow up into people trying to seek value in other people. Absolutely. So they look to other people for validation. Absolutely. So it's almost a, a process of you, you, you know, you, you've torn down the self-worth of a child they they have no idea of what love is externally and love to them because these are the people who are supposed to take care of you right but they're the way that they're showing love or the way that they are treating you is being called love and so when you go into another situation and somebody treats you like that well you know they love me because that's how mama daddy auntie uncle that's how they treated me and their family they love me so this must be love mm-hmm. and that's not that's not what it is so this documentary kind of is like look at that whole spectrum of it and then how do we kind of start to reprogram how we perceive love self-love and love amongst the community what and saying something you know because a lot of times we don't say anything because we're taught at a young age don't say anything right and then to who right to who who do you say it to 
How do we uh how do we begin to heal? Well, there are definitely different modalities. Uh, be one way to heal is the first is, is acknowledgement of the abuse for the person who's receiving it. Like you have to become aware and admit to yourself that this is in fact what is happening. And then you have to make an adjustment. What do I need to do? What can I do to get out of that situation first? Because you got to get out first. And then after you're out, find a way to process. And it's just not find a way. I believe, honestly, that any person hearing my voice right now need counseling. Amen. I agree with you. Most of us walk in the world dealing with traumas and issues that we just don't unpack on a day-to-day, especially African-Americans. And we all really need counseling because it, it has severely impacted how we relate with each other just on a human level before we get to relationships, just how we exist in the world. We, we really have to fundamentally fix that. So for me... Um, what saves my life and constantly saves my life is dancing. So that's, that's how I heal. I, do, I heal through the arts. I heal through um, communication and talking, um, talking it out. And an acceptance is key. So for me, you know, I am E.I. Fonike. I'm a strong, resilient, amazing, beautiful black woman, African woman. So those are my words. <laughs> Amazing, strong, resilient, beautiful. Look at me. But none of that saved me from being in an abusive relationship. So you still have to do the work. It didn't stop someone processing me as a person who they could abuse. So, and for myself, the acceptance of that was a long time. Because I am, you know, my own idea of myself. There's no way I'm allowing this to happen. I'm not being abused. And what's interesting is that before it became just outright physical, mm-hmm. um, a mama in the community pulled me to the side. And she asked me, you know, what's going on? Is he doing this? And at that time... There was an incident that did happen a while ago, but I'm like, no, absolutely not. If that was happening, then I would be, you know, X, Y, and Z. For it to manifest itself like a year later in the physical, in a strong way, I was like, wow. What was it do you think that she saw? What everybody else saw, the control, Mm. the absolute control, how he spoke to me in public how he ordered me and commanded me in public. Um, The aggression that he showed towards me. So it came out later that a lot of people believed that I was already Uh being abused. Mm -hmm. The only person who didn't wake up to it was me. Because I think that was the line, I think. Well, as long as he's not hitting me. I'm not being abused. I psyched myself out in that way. And 
it just showed its head really ugly. When that, when the physical piece came, was it enough? At that moment, did you say, all right, as you thought that you would? Um, yes, I would say when it came and continued to come, I made an adjustment, but it started itself in January of this year. So this is still fresh for me. Um, But I didn't take the stand until February. So a month, you know, I'm like, well, I got out. I mean, the, the, the issue was I had to get out. And when it started in January, I was like, oh, goodness, um, I got to figure out how to get out of this quietly because we're not supposed to talk about stuff like this, not out loud. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's very different for me because I'm a communicator. But I had tried everything under the sun to rectify issues within the relationship that you bring in the community, you know, and certain things just kind of backfired. And then after it expressed itself in January, I was just like, okay, I got to get out quietly. How do, I, how do I get out quietly? I'm not going to say nothing to nobody. I brought the world in. I got to figure out how to get out quietly. And it really just became bigger than me and overwhelming. And um, the worst part are the children. You know, there's an African proverb that says, when elephants fight, it's the grass that suffers. And it's the children that, uh, that unfortunately is severely impacted in the process. And that's the hardest part. Um, as a mother, when folks know that they can't touch you anymore, but I can get you through your kids. You know, that's um, that pill is really hard to, to, to process. I think that holds a lot of people up. Court system, immigration. Like, sometimes I, I ask myself, why does someone stay in those terrible circumstances? And I can only think of a mother that has to separate from an abuser and the kids have to go back and forth with, you know what I mean, back into the household now unsupervised. Um, I don't know. It just sounds terrible. How did uh, witnessing this, because you were a witness to it, um, Ametia? Unfortunately. And how did it, um, how difficult was it for you to witness it and what, what was it like? I can't describe. Um, I don't know if I can necessarily put words to it, but I'll try. Um, It was a particular day. Mm. Okay, so every day, uh, just imagine, or on any given day, um, knowing somebody to be vibrant and expressive and colorful and happy um, and uh, just a tr- a, the true manifestation, personification of a butterfly. Um, and to see that person have to shrink, uh, have to stop, 
um, have to fold for somebody else and to see them uh, constantly in a battle between who they are, what their soul wants to be, and who somebody else wants them to be. And uh, also just seeing, uh, you know, a loved one at a crossroads between, again, the potential of self and the trauma uh, of, of their partner. Um, seeing uh, her tiptoe around this person, which then makes her tiptoe around herself. Seeing the children tiptoe around this man's uh, anger and just disposition. Um, and seeing them, the children also have to tiptoe around themselves um, and wanting to see resolve um, and wanting to uh, be able to help, you know, but what, what do you do? Um, the dynamics of seeing two married people um, who are experiencing imbalance and disharmony and unhappiness um, and lack of communication and just completely missing each other um, and being a simple friend in the midst of that. What do you do? Um, it's tough. It's tough. I, I, I have so many days that I wanted to just take her and take the children and just go to a land and a place where I know that she and them can be exactly who they want to be, need to be. Um, I think that the specific day um, that I actually heard uh, tussling um, and, um, you know, had to call the authorities. Um, that was one of the worst days, uh, one of the worst days of my life. Um, and I think that, I mean, it's tough. I mean, it's, it's just all the way around to just, really unpack it all. One thing I will say is that, you know, PTSD is something that they say, you know, you can experience something in person, in real time, yourself, and have trauma um, and have triggers from that event. You can also hear something or watch it on TV and have traumas and have triggers from that event. Um, and I know I have triggers. Um, and I also think that situations like this it really showed you how much you love somebody. Um, and I think just thinking about what you would be willing to do um, in a situation uh, for them. And so I hope I answered your question. Yes, you did. Were you one of the people who, and I guess either one of you guys can answer this, which were you one of the people who, uh, before it became physical, that tried to talk to her about... Um, what she witnessed and what you believe was going on and encouraging her to uh, make a change. And if, if you were, what was her response? Uh, I think we always unpack together. <laughs> um, I think we always unpack together. I wasn't the person who she was mentioning. No. Um, I think that it's tough. Um, I think that I really, really, really wanted to see resolve. Like I really wanted sometimes to not believe what I was seeing. Um, 
I also at times didn't understand the depth. I know for a fact that I, I never understood the depth of um, what was happening or what she was experiencing um, and even, you know, his, his trauma um, that he's living out. Um, but she would talk to me, you know, and express. Um, I would be around, you know, and she knew something was wrong. She knew. She wasn't oblivious. She wasn't, you know, in the clouds. She knew. And I think that process of just trying to work through what to do, how to do, when to do it, to keep yourself safe, to keep your children safe, um, is, I mean, it's, it's powerful. Um, she's always open. Um, I think E.I. Fani has a person. She's always open, always listening, all, a truth seeker, always seeking knowledge, trying always, because she's a healer, <laughs> she's always seeking to heal um, and seeking to, like she said, do the work. And so I think before she ever wanted to point the blame at anybody else, she really did internal work, like really took herself through all types of healing modalities and, and through methods of introspection and meditation and, you know, never stop dancing and, you know, whatever you can possibly think about, um, you know, listening to people who are in, you know, doing relationship counseling, books and um, videos and all you can think about to try to make sure that she is not the problem. Mm. And so that process, it would be challenges we would do together. Uh, it would be things, I mean, really, I feel like I grew so much just knowing her and being connected to her in this moment because she would go through a challenge and say, hey, this is what I'm doing today. I'll never forget one of the mantras, which was um, she talked about we can't be in a space where we have to uh, protect, hide, prove, or defend. We have to just live in truth. And so... She taught me that, and I tried that in my own relationship that was struggling. Mm. Um, it was, it's just so many things that I think she's done um, to, to, to make it, to be the survivor that she is. You're listening to Window Seat on Full Service Radio. Um, we're talking about domestic healing and domestic violence. Are there any common misconceptions with domestic violence? that we should be aware of? Um, I think I mentioned one earlier that um, domestic violence is a woman's issue. It's not, a, it's not just a woman's issue. Um, men's expression of domestic violence is, is usually becoming an abuser, but they have experienced some trauma in their life as well at some point that has led them to to this and that's part of the healing process so that misconception that it's just a woman's issue is is a really big one which impedes the healing process Um, talk for a moment about um because you mentioned dancing dancing as it relates to healing um and it sounds a bit to me like I'm escaping for a moment, which could be healthy, but is there something that maybe I'm not understanding that's happening as well in that expression? Yeah, so I'll give you a very, um, so some dance is healing dance. Like it's specifically designed 
for healing. Um, one example would be what we would call um, a lamba circle. So lamba is a traditional West African dance um, that is that you know some of us learn here. It's, a, it's a, one of the common ones that we that most dancers in the traditional West African communities dance all the time. Um, but when we talk about dancing and we talk about traditional West African dancing, we have to understand that these dances come from a people, a nation of people, and there's a context those dances are done in. So here we go to shows and we see performances of these dances, but those dances have a, a specific purpose and context. And Lamba, specifically one of them, because it's many of them, many different types, one is actually geared towards offering healing to a sister who is going through challenging circumstances, specifically done by a woman society, women's society within the community. So what they would do is um, they would surround the sister. She would actually be in the center of a circle of other sisters who know her, who understands her, what she's going through. And a part of the movement is about release, releasing pain, releasing guilt, releasing judgment. When you get into um, spaces, when people find themselves in spaces such as the one I find myself in, there's a lot of self-judgment we have to release because of the judgment we carry of the idea of people who stay in those situations because there's this stigma of why did you stay it was like this why did you stay you saw that why did you stay and so when that is there a lot of what I do is that typically turns inside for me I've been going through this this whole time you know and I have a judgment about that about myself and a part of releasing that like I can't you can't judge for wanting to be a good wife and the pressures of wanting to make it work by any means necessary. It's no longer the family mm-hmm. when you sacrifice yourself in the process. So going back to the original question, dance can be an escape and sometimes escape is necessary, but you still have to deal with the issue. Right. So... In addition to the escapism, there are actually healing dances that exist that one can do, that I would do. And um, through the documentary, I've noticed, I've realized that a lot of times when victims go through, um, when they tap into that, that expression of themselves, either writing or art, it may seem like an escape, but that helps and bring about a, a level of awareness of the situation of themselves, of, of, of why they stayed. You know, that whole examination of, um, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have been in, you know, with me, like you go through. So when you can release that, you, it's like it's necessary for you it's, to have that. It's escape. therapeutic. It's therapeutic, yeah. Going so if you don't escape, you get stuck. You 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 know you have to escape physically and you have to escape mentally. 
Going from uh, being in an abusive relationship to now being able to say, I'm beautiful, I'm powerful, I'm smart. Can you talk about that process a little bit? Because I feel like there's a lot of negative energy. When you were saying they're attacking your spirit, your soul, they're trying to bring you down, I guess, in order to to control you. How do you go from that place to this place? It's really an act of commitment to um, try to live my best life. It's an act of commitment to saying um, to myself, persevere, um, that you are beautiful. Like, it's, a, it's, it's not an overnight process. It's really a day-to-day. I wake up in the morning, and this is what, this is what I'm going to say to myself. This is what I'm going to do. Uh, because it really has to just come from you. So if, you know, it's a theory, maybe if I say it enough, I'll believe it, and I'll behave like it, right? And then I'll require other people to behave like it, because I behave like it now. And you can hear it, right, from a hundred other people, Mm -hmm. and if you don't believe it, it's going to, you, you might be shocked when other people say it. You're kind of like, me? What? Yeah. But until you believe it, that's when it's, you, you see a, a change. I kind of think there's value in faking it for a little while, too. Because I think you can say something and not necessarily understand it yet, right? So I can say I'm beautiful and not believe it. But if I say it for 30 days, day 30, it's a little easier to buy into than it was day one. Mm-hmm. So... That goes back to that commitment. And whether you believe it or not, I'm going to keep saying this because it's going to shift. My mind it will shift. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're up on our time. So really quickly, what, what has the process been like uh, since you decided to move on from uh, the difficult situation? It's been... Um liberating I feel like I can love my children freely um, I feel what you didn't feel like that what, what is that can you elaborate a little bit when you live in a space where it really feels like the walls are caving in on you um, it's hard to express um, like the full expression of love. I can't, I don't know if I can fully explain what that feels like or what felt restricted in the space, but I know I just don't feel that anymore. I feel, um, I feel like I can embrace them more and I feel like I can embrace me more. Um, I just feel free, honestly. I feel free. Like, I don't feel bound or trapped, which was a consistent feeling I had all the time. Like, I just, I can't get out. I can't get out. Um, so to be out feels free. It's, and in truth, to be completely transparent, it's scary because you've spent years, I've spent years, in a completely different space, right? There's been years of cultivating um, 
me to be okay with being trapped, okay with feeling restricted, okay with feeling small. So it is a scary process to step out and say, I'm going to do this differently or I'm stepping out by myself. So it is fear. But um, Dick Gregory used to say, fear and God can't exist in the same space. So just because you're scared, that's not good enough to not do. So you just you press on. So pressing forward, just it's really a commitment to keep pressing forward. And I see the response. You know, the world, it felt like the world opened up a little bit more for me because I decided to actually liberate myself. So that's what it's been like. I want to go ahead. take two seconds to talk about this event because we're wrapping up. And I want you to... We, plug we, your documentary no, no, no. as well we, we we got more time than what we thought we had so we want to <laughs> okay. we want to take advantage of all this time that we have jackson this is a very important subject so we're gonna okay. uh, give it it's 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 thanks, just uh thanks jack <laughs> <laughs> so i can can you go into a bit of detail about um what the actual process was like uh from moving because you were you were married with children you guys lived together and so you, you um first had to uh, internally decide that this is a situation you didn't want to move, you didn't want to be in anymore. And then um, you had to take a physical action to move from that situation, right? So can you take us through that that physical um, process? Um, the initial move really happened when... Um the authorities were called and they allowed me to get things, my things and my children to leave. Mm -hmm. Were were you scared? Yeah. Um, And that was being prohibited by the person they tried to, you know, we were in February, it's cold. Mm -hmm. And um, they were trying to make me leave with nothing. When when the authorities were called, were you scared for him at all that he may get in trouble, or that? Uh, you asking some hard questions, brother. I'm sorry. Let me say. No, it's okay. okay. It's okay. But the truth about the truth about um, being in those situations is that you often choose the other person over yourself quite often, and you fear for the abuser more than you fear for yourself. So. I expressed, I don't want him to go to jail. I just want to leave. Mm-hmm. That was me. Still, you know, behaving like a a battered woman. That was hard for me to process for myself. Um, so yeah, I just I just wanted to go. I didn't want to. I didn't want anything else to anything else to happen. I just wanted to leave. I just wanted to leave with my children mm-hmm. and my stuff. And I wanted him to let me do that, but that just was not happening. Um, so I did. I needed help, and um, yeah, the way those tables turn, you know, the system in this country where they will lock people up for off of lies was amazing to me. So because I left with my children and some clothes, 
he created a whole story, which he, which resulted in um, me being arrested in front of my children. Wow. Later, um, me going to jail. Now, let's be clear. I'm from Miami, Florida, right? Dade County. I've survived the projects of Dade County. And to, and it took me to be a mother of three, a wife, in graduate school, to be put in jail for the first time by my husband. That was unraveling for me. All I could do was cry. I had nothing else left. I could not believe the situation I was in. I couldn't believe it. So scary it turned from. It turned it turned into a nightmare. It was literally hell on earth for me for a long time. So that that was a part of the process, the leaving process. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like I can't hit you no more, so I'm gonna take your freedom. And trying to get to a space of being like, man, people just sick out here in the world. And not carry hate, right? Because it's a lot to hate from that situation. But it don't serve me. It don't serve my kids. My children need to see somebody normal. And um, so a lot of my fight really is for my children. For me and my children. So the transition now has been good, you know, in terms of, you know, I'm not there. False charges against me were dismissed and dropped. You know, it was judge saw through all of the foolery. Um, So all of that was has been good. Um, I'm stabilizing. I'm in the process of stabilizing. Um, so that, the commitment to that has been liberating, like, continuing to take a step forward towards stabilizing because that's what's important right now, and that's what my children need. How old are your kids? Two, five, and 13. Wow. So, um, you're listening to Window Seat. We're talking about domestic violence and domestic healing. And we uh, just talked a little bit about the children. And I have a question um, when it comes to making sure they heal. How do you process that? Through love. You got to love on them. I love on my children. I love loving on my children. Um, And seeing somebody. Letting them talk. Uh, the two-year-old, that's a little different. My 13-year-old um, was not present for the, the really bad event. And that was only by God's grace um, that she wasn't there. But she unfortunately has she's seen a lot. Um, and so that's the one that really has a lot of processing she has to do. And then my five-year-old, unfortunately, he was there. So he witnessed 
some of it, which is, um, again, extremely problematic. Uh, so, you know, we go to counseling. We got to get therapy because it takes more than just uh, love is good, but you got to unpack, especially for my male child, for my female children, because I would hate for my daughters to be in a situation like this, right. and I would hate for my son to become, right? So it's like a lot of unpacking we have to do as a family, but we do it together. We have to um, start communicating. Like, we have to talk. We have to, um, you know, that, that's going to be the key to, to getting through to our kids, to breaking through for ourselves. We have to, we have to just open up our mouths and we have to communicate more. And you can't be afraid to communicate and express your feelings and ex- express what is going on with you. Um, and one of, one of the techniques that I've learned through doing a documentary is, you know, getting back to that family table and having that family dinner and conversation. You know, those types of things will lead to being open with each other, you know, and just expressing. Because you never know, especially with the children, if you listen to them, you will find out everything you need to know. Because they will tell you, and you, but you have to listen. And we're sometimes too busy, you know, moving and stuff. But you can, you can see, you can, you can feel when the tr- when the child is troubled or when they're when they're hesitant about, you know, expressing themselves about something. Ask questions, ask questions, and communicate. There were several things that we talked about that kind of stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about the isolation, right? Mm-hmm. It seemed like it was very significant. Um, in the process, we talked about um, went from isolation to just acknowledging that you were, in fact, an abusive relationship, which I might not have understood so much on the outside because it seems to someone who's not thinking through it as clearly as someone is in it that you would automatically know that you're in an abusive relationship. Um, we talked about. It was another thing that stood out to me, um, the counseling, how important the counseling was. Is there anything else that I missed or just an important step that needs to be taken? Because we want, to, we want to be healed. We want to be whole. I'm supporting. I want to say that supporting each other. This, this sisterhood right here. You know, I want to just commend you for being freshly, you know, uh, it takes people years of physical abuse Mm -hmm. to get out. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? This is still fresh and new for her, and she is still persevering through. But And like she said, she has people around her who are supporting her. And moving forward, they're not blaming her. They didn't ask her why she did this, why she. All they're doing is being there to catch her if she falls, to just stand her up when she feels like she can't, to help her move forward, to get back on her feet. That's something that, as a community, we need to do. Um, we need to not blame, you know, blame victim, victim shaming people. We have to stop that. That that's one of the key things that keeps people 
from saying something or staying with their abuser because sometimes they feel more love from their abuser than people around them. And their abuser pop them upside the head every day. Because, but they'll go to somebody and say, well, why are you still, what do you need to? And that's the, the wrong approach. Just to uh, give an example to what you're saying, someone responded to me like, mm-hmm. oh, you know I'm not surprised about this. I was like, mm, well, so much for talking to you. I, <laughs> you know, that's, that's not where I, I, I can exist right now. I don't have the emotional capacity mm-hmm. to deal with that right there. Right. Of you wanting to be right that I was being abused. You right now what? Now what? Help me. So be there for me and help help does not have to be you don't have to say anything sometimes. You can just listen. You know, and that can help someone cuz through that communication if they're tear, if they're tearing up and they giving it they giving it up to you, that might be their healing process to you know, heal themselves to to get out that situation. I had I had something. I think um you know, we've been talking about family. I think the role of community um, cannot be lifted up enough. I think we need to get back to um, everybody playing their role. Um, I'm speaking from a very traditional African sense, traditional black sense. But what do I mean? I'm talking about this idea that um, the elders, we need elders, Right. We need counsel. We need folks who have experience, who have wisdom, who have knowledge, um, who have ability under their belt to be holding space actively for those who are younger than them um, to come and seek counsel, to come and seek uh, information, knowledge, support. Um, you know, um, and, and basically, you know, understanding, you know, with age, with experience, it does come um, just ability, right? And so, you know, understanding based on your age, who are those who are under you, who you can take under your wing, who are those who you can open your house to, who are those who, you know, you can lend, a, you know, a shoulder um, if you know you have a relationship and it's going well, you know what I'm saying? Don't be afraid to share what's working for you. Also, not being afraid to step in. If we see um, discomfort, if we see hurt, pain, trauma, oftentimes we see in each other um, what's happening. But maybe, you know, we say in this individual society that we live in, um, you know, we say, oh, that's not my business. I'm going to mind my business. Minding my business, people die. Minding my business, women aren't able to be at this mic to be able to be talking about their story because somebody didn't step up, pull somebody to the side and say, hey, I care. I see. I'm here. How can I help? Um, And to open themselves up in that way. So I think we all have to be more open. Um, Communication also, I think that's the last step of being open, right? First, it's the ability to believe what you're seeing, you know, feel what you're feeling, um, and then to let somebody know. Um, And then to extend yourself. And so I just think, um, how do we hold space for one another? Um, You know, I think that that's something that we need to be thinking about. And like I said, I think the role of the elders can't be mentioned enough um, in community and in uh, combating violence and situations. um, Anything. It could be anything. I would say, um, to add to what Amitya is saying, um, there may be people that say, well, we have elders in our community. 
we have a community, we have people who are around who do this or do that. My critique would be people are not engaged with each other on an authentic level. We see each other in spaces, hey, brother, hey, sister, how you doing? We had a conference, hey, brother, hey, sister, how you doing? That's about as far as it goes. So um, what, what the communities that I come from, let me say that, are like good old-fashioned southern communities where mm-hmm. on the block, then we may have grown up in the projects, but we knew everybody on that street, and they knew us. And if we acted out and my mom wasn't home, mama such and such, she dealt with us. She told somebody else they dealt with us. You know, there was a, there was a responsibility to each other mm-hmm. that I think we are, we are missing now, right? We kind of, we've adopted the idea of returning back into our African ways and our African identity, which is beautiful. Um, but to take on the African way of being, I'm in your business right now. In a positive way. In a positive in a way. Uplifting Not way. to come tear you down. Yeah. But I'm here because I care about you, because I love you. And not just you, I love your family. I love your children. And I see something. And we are here to support because the idea is people, people want to win. And when I say when, folks want their relationships to work. Nobody gets married expecting divorce. Nobody gets married expecting to be abused. Nobody walks in like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the alarming signs that come, you know, they say you can't see the forest for the trees. It's harder for us to see when we're in it. Yeah. But those on the outside, all those people who were like, yeah, we, we, we used to ask such and such if he was, we used to. Talking about it in whispers is how it get to live and not be dealt with. So it's just engaging each other in a really authentic way. Um, so I had something really quickly. I think one of the one of the um, one of the deepest sicknesses that America has taught its people and that Western society has taught its people is that your relationship is yours. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny <laughs> that your relationship is yours, right? It's the communities. How, it's nothing that's happening in your household. It's nothing that's happening in your so-called intimate conversations that does not seep, you know what I'm saying, into, you know, that is not, you know, um, indivisible from the fabric of somebody else's child's. In, you know, their, their reality or somebody else's uh, relationship or, you know, how your wife leaves the house for the day, how your husband leaves the house for the day, how they, how they carry themselves, how they feel, how they communicate. It's, it's all ours, you know? It, it's not like people, you know what I'm saying, like we're in these boxes, you know, and you, you, know, you do your relationship stuff and then when you jump out and when you go to the rest of the world, you know, it's completely separate from that. It's not. You know, so to say that the relationship is, is the communities is to debunk this idea that you in my business or that you have something to be afraid of or scared of or something to hide because everything ain't great. It's so funny when we're authentic with one another and when we allow ourselves to truly live and be human, we realize don't nobody got it figured out. When you have it figured out, you're dead. Right. And so 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 the idea is because then you're reviewing and you're looking back and things are very clear. Right. That's 20. You know, it's 2020 vision. We're here. We're experiencing to get it wrong. You know what I'm saying? And to lean on each other to try to get it right. 
And so I just think that it's, it's, this is a cry. It's a, this is a call to action to the community, to anybody who's listening, to be open. Right. But then also the responsibility on the folks who, you know, are being trusted. Right. To be trustworthy. Right. To be upright, you know, to be real, to be honest, to give what you can give. Um, it, it's just like I say, it's work to do all around for all of us, for all of us. I would thank you guys for the coming. mic was so hot. I had yeah. to give it a moment. <laughs> <laughs> and and. Uh, can you really quickly explain your name? Your name is Aya Afanike Omawale. And explain what the Aya part means, please. Iya, Iya, see? Iya just means mother in Yoruba. Okay. Ifanike means Ifa takes care of me or Ifa pampers me. Hmm. My whole name is Iya Nifa. It's got a whole lot of meaning to it. <laughs> so, um, in addition to all of the other things that I do, I also am, um, I am a healer, a priestess, a traditionalist in the uh, Yoruba tradition as it's practiced out of Southwest Nigeria. Um, and so these names come through those systems and um, are uh, destiny-related names. So, but Iya is just mom. So you can call your mama Iya. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank all of you for coming and sharing. Chris? I, I think this was a really important show um, because of that. If there's someone who um, is experiencing domestic violence, what information do we want to give them? And secondly, if there's a friend, child, parent, cousin, sister who suspects someone else's experience, like in a direct way, because I know we talked about it, but in a direct way, what do we want these people? What, what, what do you want? What do we want them to take from this show? So let me just give some tangible information. Um, there's a sister named Cynthia, uh, Cynthia Thomas. She runs a ministry for domestic health. I mean, yeah, yeah, domestic health, right, or combating domestic violence. Um, and it's called Tamara. And so, um, and that's T-A-M-A-R-A, all capital. It's an acronym. Um, I would say look it up. Um, she's a black woman who has survived um, one of the most vicious stories of domestic violence I've ever heard. Not saying I've heard all the stories, but it's deep. Um, and she's all about healing. She'll actually be at the event okay. um, coming up July 7th. So please come. She'll have information. Mm -hmm. um, and for anybody who needs healing is, you know, a survivor and is also trying to stabilize and um, just heal. Um, please come and uh, Cynthia will be there. Uh, but again, Google that if you, you know, if you need immediate assistance and, you know, you know, understand that it's a place for uh women specifically um to come together and to um seek all of the um things that you may need whether it's financial support um a roof over your head food whatever it may be so that's just the tangible answer but we can go another way with that mm -hmm. question now, keeping it tangible for someone who is experiencing domestic violence right now in their relationship and for the person who is witnessing that um, to the person who's experiencing it, 
I would say please remember that you are loved and the world needs you. So by any means necessary, find a way out, get out. If it's run to the nearest homeless shelter, find a way to get out first and then find mama tomorrow or find the group. <laughs> but what's most important is that you have to get out because, again, people sometimes don't survive. And it's a lot, if you knew the statistics, unfortunately, African-American women are suffering largely um, from domestic violence. And some of us are not coming back. So please leave. Especially if you have children, please leave. And for the person who's watching it, go get them. I don't care what they might do is they might fight you to stay. Go get them. Because their life is important. Thank you so much. This took a lot. Um, I just want to say thank you again. Um, and if you listen, this was Window Seed, and I think we're out. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at fullserviceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.